All right. Good morning. Good morning. I think I've got me attached there. Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Okay. Well, I am glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we are actually in week number two, three, week number three of a, uh, let's see, four-part series. Um, and in week number one of this series, we got started off quickly, and we said a really big statement in week number one. We said, there is a God. Now, I think that qualifies as a big statement. Um, we gave you a laundry list of reasons uh, why we can say that there is a God. And in this laundry list of reasons, uh, one of those was because every single culture in the world that we know of that has existed, every single culture has in some way acknowledged there's this power out there bigger than us, greater than us, and and somehow this is a, a, a God. And so we said there's so many other reasons. We went over those in week number one. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But here's the big question based upon that. Okay, so there's a God. So uh, we said there's a whole lot of isms out there. Um, and we said, which ism is it? So which one is the one that's right? And then probably the most important question that we're addressing in this series is, well, since there is a God, what is God like? What does God like? And I guess, uh, what doesn't he like? And I think we can also say this, what is God's character? And so those are big questions for sure. And those are questions that can kind of leave us short on answers because they are such big questions. And certainly short on understanding, trying to figure this whole thing out. So, and you know, the whole process of us trying to figure out God can be kind of a dangerous process. Um, those questions uh, are, here. here's how we approach those. And if you're anything like me, and I believe most of us are, just this is just kind of natural as humans. There's something I know about all of us. It's certainly true of me. What I don't understand about God, here's what I have a tendency to do. I'm going to manipulate um, the information to make it easier for me to understand. I'm going to, to begin to reconstruct it in a way that I can make sense of it. So if I don't understand it, I'm going to deconstruct this concept of God, and then I'm going to rebuild that concept into something I can actually understand for me. Now, that sounds like a great plan. Here's the problem. I began to rebuild God, and I began to rebuild a God the way I want him to be, a God that I could approve of, a God that I think this is the way God should be. And so for many of us, this God uh, deconstruction becomes uh, instead, it becomes me construction, and I create a God that I like, that I think this is the way he should be. And so building our own personal God that fits with what we think, what we like, and what we can accept, that's what me construction ends up being. Now, here's the thing. What I think about God is actually kind of a moving target because what I think about God tends to shift from day to day, year to year, decade to decade. What culture thinks about God is constantly changing, and that's the same way it is for me too, and you as well. What we think about God today may be different than what you thought about God when you were five years old, or when you were 10 years old, or when you were 16 years old. So if I'm going to be the standard of what God should be like, 
and what I think God is like, if I'm the standard, then you're never truly going to know what God is like. That's the whole point of this series, because we don't have to be the standard. That is the great news. We can actually know some things about God, because God has actually told us some things about himself. We can actually have a more complete understanding of God. It will never be complete, but it can be more complete. In fact, that's one of the things that the Apostle Paul prayed for. He prayed for all the churches that he was starting. He prayed for all the churches the other apostles were starting. And he actually, we can be included in that prayer as well. That's one of the things that I think is so cool. That what he prayed for them, I believe the Apostle Paul is also praying for us today, right now. Oh, that's pretty cool. Here's what he prayed, and we find it recorded in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. It's where it starts. Paul said, I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you, here's what he wants. He wants God to give them and to give us spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. He thinks we can grow in our knowledge of God. That's awesome. But he says this is going to kind of require God's help. Okay, here he goes on, verse 18. He said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. I love that. So that, not just for any old reason, so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those that he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So Paul is saying, not only can we know God more, we can understand him more than we do right now, more than we do today. So can we understand God? Yes. According to Paul, there are some things that we can know. Now, how do we know these things? Well, we've been talking about this. By diving into Scripture, we can know more and we can understand more about God himself because he has told us things in Scripture that we can rely on. Now, when we talk about Scripture, that's a big one. Um, We did an entire series on this uh, in... um, June of 21, of 2021 in June, an entire series on why we can trust God's word, God's scripture. So let me give you a thumbnail about the, uh, let's call this the 50,000 feet view. Okay. So we're way up there. Here's a view of scripture. We can trust this. Here we go. We know it's 66 books that are written by over 40 different individuals that were handpicked by God. These 40 individuals, over 40, they, um, they wrote their manuscripts, letters, books, uh, poetry. They wrote all of these things Um, within about 1,500 years. That's a large span. But all of those things, by all of those writers, they tell one amazing story. And we can look there, and we can find a great deal about what we can call the character of God. So here's what we talked about last week very, very quickly. We said this, that we can discover by looking at Scripture that God has always been there. And that's kind of cool because that means God does not need us, does not need us at all. But that's cool because it means that God, although he doesn't need us, he wants us. Oh, that just fires me up. I wish I could talk all day about that. I think I'll come back to it later. God wants us, doesn't need us, he wants us. We also discover this, that God is beyond man. That Here's the big fancy word for that. You can impress your friends. Go use this today. God transcends man. He transcends 
his creation. But while God is beyond me and God is beyond you, he transcends us, right? He's, he's beyond us. He still, this is what we discovered as well, he still is involved in his creation. He's involved with his creation. God can be known. He wants to be known. He intends upon being known, and that is awesome. Now, while he is all of those things, we also said this last week, that when we find this, that God is also eternal and infinite. I I don't think it gets bigger than that. But here's another cool thing about this. This is the second thing I wish I could talk all day on today. Here's what that means to me and you today. The fact that God is eternal and infinite. It means he is outside of time. He's not on the clock, not on the calendar. He's outside of time. So at the very moment, this very moment, that's all we can be in. I can't go back there to yesterday. I can't go this way to my future. I'm stuck right here. But God is not. He's beyond time. He's beyond the calendar. So while God this very moment that I'm stuck right here, God is also at this very moment in my past right now. That's crazy, but that's how he describes himself. He's outside of time. At the very same moment, God is in my future right now. So here's why this is so cool that God is infinite. He's eternal. He's outside of the clock, outside of the calendar. He's already in my future He already knows the bad decisions I'm going to make next week. He knows the bad decisions you're going to make today or tomorrow. And he's already there at that decision right now, waiting on you. He's already there. Here's why this is such a big deal. We are never going to surprise God. I have never shocked God by my bad decisions. Disappointed him? Absolutely. But guess what? Not the moment I did it. He was disappointed before creation because he already knew. Ah, that just blows my mind. My, My little tiny brain is up here all over the stage. It blows my mind. I'm never going to shock or surprise God, which means he will never run away from me screaming, you idiot! I do that in my head all the time to myself, but God never does. Never, never, never. Wow. See, I told you, I really want to talk about that all day. I got to keep moving. So there's a lot of information about God. We're going to talk about a little bit more today, and then we're going to wrap it up next week and talk a little bit more next week. So so here we go. God tells us about his character If we look into the scripture, everything God tells us about himself, this is pretty amazing. Of all of those things, this is not the most important by any means. They're all equally important, but man, this is so significant. Here's something the psalmist tells us about God. Psalm 102, 27. He says, but you are always the same. You will live forever. So the you will live forever part reminds us, oh yeah, God's eternal. He's infinite. But I want to focus on that first phrase, always the same. So here's the next thing we understand about God. God doesn't change. Here's another big word you can use. Go impress some friends today. God is immutable. 
It means he does not change. Not only does not change, he cannot change. God cannot learn because he already knows everything. There's nothing that he can discover because he already knows it. So he can't learn. He already knows it all. Now, this is very different from me, very different from you, very different from us. I mean, everywhere around us, everything changes all the time. I mean, just think about the changes that you've experienced in this last year. Certainly since COVID, you know, very specific things, how your life has changed. We change. Our culture changes. Things change all around us. But God, here's what the big truth of this, God never changes. He doesn't change. Does it need to? And he can't. Now, I, I want to be cautious here because when I was a teenager, this, this confused me. I was like, okay, so God didn't change. But so I was thinking, oh, do, he never changes his mind. No, actually, that's not what we're talking about. We do find evidence in scripture where God does change his mind. That's pretty cool. I'm glad he does. He does change his mind. But the thing about him that never changes is his character, his substance, what makes God, God. Those attributes, that perfection, all of those things, God's attributes and his character never changes. God is perfect. He doesn't need to change, never will need to change. He can't change with his uh, respect to his being, what makes him God. None of those things. His purposes, his promises, those are rock solid. They don't change. You see, God doesn't ever need to evolve. He doesn't. I change. Man, boy, do I change. Last week, I tried to put on my 38 corduroy pants. I had to change those real quick. Unless I was going to tie a rope around this button and a rope around this hole and cinch me up tight because those pants weren't working. I, have, I change all the time. I've gained 20 pounds. I'm 20 pounds fatter than I was in July. Can anybody test me? Anybody, am I alone? <laughs> I change all the time. Not only do I change physically, I change mentally. I learn things. I well, now I forget things in this time of my life. I forget things. I learn things. I forget things. Um, I, I change. My perspective changes. So many things change about me. So many things change about you. We are constantly learning. We are also constantly in the process of understanding better, more and more. Our personal perspective on life gets more and more clear. I love the fact that our hair turns gray. Nobody else is excited with me on that one, but I do because it is a sign. Anytime I'm around people with gray hair, guess what? My respect level goes whoop, way up. More wisdom. Thank you, Michael. More wisdom. See, I got a little bit going right here. Right there, got a little wisdom on this side, a little wisdom on this side. Not as much as Jacob has, but I've got some coming on. I've got, and, and my wife cut some of my hair to, uh, yesterday before a wedding, and she, there was wisdom everywhere. <laughs> it was all over the place. I said, I'm losing my wisdom. I, I love the fact that, that as we grow older, we gain wisdom. 
the first, one of the first things I did when my back was hurt, I went to my friend Steve. He is full of wisdom. I said, Steve, give me some help. Tell me what this MRI is talking about. We grow and learn as we get older. So think about it. The things that you, there are some things that you really, really believed and held tightly to 10, 15, 20 years ago that today maybe you hold loosely, right? Because our perspective changes. But there are some things that you didn't hold at all that now you hold tightly because your perspective has changed. But God, no. Not for him. You see, we've grown and matured. Things we didn't experience, we experienced. And we grew and we learned and we understood some more things. And as a result, our perspective was altered. And possibly, you've walked beside someone who has experienced some things. Maybe you learned from their experience by watching them and seeing them. We are always in the process of learning, but God is different. Our God doesn't change. He doesn't change because he has nothing to learn. His perspective needs no clarification. I love that. God cannot look back on his past and say, man, I wish I would have handled that differently. God will never do that. because he handled it perfectly. He can't look back and say, wow. You know, we have good days and bad days. I was just about to have a, a, a bad day about 30 minutes ago. I couldn't get the soundboard to do the, the things I needed it to do. I was just about to have a bad day. That's all it takes for me. That can swing me into a bad day. We have good days and bad days. We have days where, man, uh, we, we, we change our actions and our reactions according to our mood, according to what we're feeling in the moment, according to our circumstances. Think about it. If God changed and if he reacted according to his mood like I do, God would be as untrustworthy as I am. That's the truth. But God doesn't change. God can't change. Here's the way James, who was the brother of Jesus. Now, I want to pause just a moment. When you think about James, the brother of God, um, I kind of feel like it wasn't so great for James growing up. Can't you be like your brother Jesus? Jesus. And 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 here's a really important thing. James did not believe Jesus was God until he saw his dead brother walking alive again after the resurrection. James became a believer. He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus is God. He's my savior." Wow. So here's the way James words this. This is pretty cool. Um, This is James. He he kind of puts this concept into words. This fact that we have Jesus who's 100% human. He's 100% God. We say it's God with a bod. Jesus told us that if we have seen him, 
that we have seen God. That's what Jesus told us. And James had seen Jesus, and here's what James says about God based upon what he experienced in his life. I, I love this concept right here. So think with me just a moment. Tighten the, the deep thinking screw just a little bit. Here's what I want you to understand. We cannot take everything that we think we know about God and apply that to Jesus. Okay, listen to that statement one more time. We cannot take everything that we think we know about God and apply that to Jesus, but we can take everything we know about Jesus and apply it to God. That's a huge statement. Listen to what James had to say about God based upon what he had lived and experienced with his brother, Jesus, who's God. Here we go. James, chapter 1, verse 17. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I'm quite sure that when James looked back on his life with Jesus, he realized, oh yeah, Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and he's going to be the same forever. He doesn't change. All right, now so what does this mean? <laughs> what is this attribute of God? What does that mean for you, and what does that mean <clears throat> for me? Because boy, I am glad that God doesn't change. Because if he did, well, here's why this is so important. The more that God got to know me, <clears throat> the more he got to know me, the more he would change his mind concerning me. But I don't have to worry about that. You see, God knows me. God knew me before I knew me. <laughs> God knows me. I don't have to worry about that. God knew me at my worst before I ever existed. Blows my mind, but what peace of mind it gives me. Wow. He knew all of that junk up in my trunk, and yet he still offered, wanted a relationship with me. Man. That is unbelievable. And he still wants a relationship with me. Even more unbelievable. In spite of the fact that he knows me all too well, in spite of the, the it, it, here's what he offers me. It's, it's kind of an, an in spite of kind of love because he knows and in spite of that, he loves me anyway. I don't have to worry. It's a because of kind of love. He knows me. He knows all the mess. But he loves me anyway. It's a love that I couldn't earn. I didn't earn. And I cannot earn. Now, God goes on and he describes some more about himself. Um, we're going to look at something uh, he told the prophet Isaiah. In 46, Isaiah 46, here's what he said. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. We're going to come back to that statement in a moment. Let's move on here, though. He said, I am God. There is none like me. 
Only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. So this God who never changes, who knows all about me, he still wants a relationship with me, even though everything he plans will come to pass and he can do whatever he wishes. He still wants a relationship with me. He wishes for me to know him more and for you to know him more. All right. So here's what God tells us. I said we were going to come back to this in a moment. Here it is. Isaiah tells us when he says, for I alone am God, that he is writing down what God God told him. So God is saying, for I alone am God. And so here's what we know about God. He is the one and only God. One and only. Uh, I want to skip down to the end of this. So I don't know how much of this you have on the computer, Chris, but I'm going to begin a little further down in this verse. I think you'll be able to catch up with me. Um, here's what else Isaiah wrote. Um, in Isaiah chapter 45, at the end of verse 21, he says, and there is no other God besides me, a just God and Savior. Apparently, God uh, uses the spelling of England. <laughs> God and Savior. There is none besides me. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. There's none besides God. God says everything else that's out there, you can call it whatever you want, he says, but he's saying this, those are not gods. Those are not gods. I am the one and only God. God is perfectly unique. He is the one and only. There's none other like him. But this next part, I've already blown my mind several times this, today. Th this next part super blows my mind. Um, the one and only God, he says, I am the only, the one single God. The one and only God He's not alone. And I'm not talking about you and me. The teenagers, we talked about this uh, Wednesday night. We mentioned it Wednesday night in our small group. We blew our minds together. God, before creation, there was nothing but God. And God was in relationship to himself. We were saying to ourselves, "Why? how is this? Wouldn't God be bored? All that whatever eternity before time began and he's there and it's endless and he's by himself. No, he wasn't. God was not alone. That's a head scratcher. Um, as we look in the creation story, we find God saying things like this. Let us create man. Uh, let us. God, who are you talking? Is there a mouse in your pocket? Who, who are you talking about, God? God is not alone. We're gonna we're gonna unpack this just a little bit because that's all I can unpack it is a little bit. I promise you. He says, "Let us create us." God, there was nobody there. Let us create man in our. This is God, our image. Wow, God was not alone. 
but yet there's only one God. We don't have multiple gods. We have one single God. He was quite clear. I alone am God. I am the one God. But yet in Genesis, he refers to himself in the plural. So somehow, as best our minds can deduce and break this down, somehow this one single God is made up of distinct persons. Wow. As we learn more, we'll go into this in a moment. There is one God, but yet there's three. So there's three, but yet there's just one. This morning, if this is your first time here, I just want to say, <laughs> we're not always this confusing. We're not, all, but we are speaking of things that our minds cannot comprehend. We're, we're going to do our best to explain a little bit here, to understand a little bit more, to let you know how God describes himself. In the Old Testament, God is called, we find this all, but he's called Yahweh. And then in the New Covenant, God refers to himself a little more distinctly, and we see it in three different variations. We see him referring to himself as God the Father. We see him referring to himself as God the Son, and we see him referring to himself as God the Spirit. Yet, we know God is just one. One of the most famous passages in the Old Covenant is is, here's the beginning of this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Remember, three, but one. So we have Jesus kind of referring to this as well. So let me give you a snapshot of some things that Jesus said, and we have this recorded by John. Uh, it, it's an incident that Jesus had with uh, some of his uh, followers, his disciples, and Jesus, they were all worried because they weren't understanding what Jesus was saying, which was not unusual. It'd be like me in a room with Jesus. I'd be like, uh, what? And so they're saying to Jesus, uh, what? They're not understanding and here's, here's how John, by the way, who was in the room with them, John doesn't claim that he didn't understand. He points all the blame to two other guys. And so here's what he, they're, they're having this, uh, Jesus is saying, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going away. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to go away. And they're getting confused. Um, and Jesus is making some really big statements they're having trouble with. And so John says, oh yeah, these, only these two guys didn't understand, Thomas and Philip. They're struggling. They're on the struggle bus. And here's what John recorded in John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? In other words, hey, Jesus, uh, GPS has not yet been invented. Uh, I need to know exactly where you are. If you're saying to me that I'm going to be where you are, and I can get to you where you're going, you're going to have to be a little more clear. I have no idea how to get there. I'm a little worried. Help me out, Jesus. How do we get there? And here's what Jesus answered. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. Wish I could stop here and park, but I can't. He said, I am the way, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus, the Son, talking. 
And Jesus makes an incredibly significant statement next in verse 7. He said, if you really know me, the Son, Jesus, the Son, you will know my Father as well. From now on, so in other words, from this moment, let's be real clear, fellas. He's saying, from this moment forward, let's be real clear. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You know him, guys. You've seen him. And Philip now speaks up because he's not, he's still not getting it either. Philip said, Lord, okay, we're making progress here. Lord, show us the Father. And that'll be enough for us. That'll be good. You just show us the Father, Jesus, and we're with you. I think we can, we can be on the Jesus train here. Show us the Father and we'll be okay. They, they just don't get it. They, they don't understand. It's like, wait a minute. What do you mean? We've seen him. No, Jesus, we haven't seen him. Jesus, um, if you'll just let us see the Father, I think we can understand more about what you're talking about. We'll be all in. We'll be all good. And the exacerbated Jesus now replies <clears throat> as if to say, come on, guys. All right, really, come on. Jesus answered in verse 9. Don't you know me, Philip? As if Philip is now probably thinking, know you, Jesus? You? Yes. Yes, Jesus. We know you. I mean, we've been with you for three years. Yes, Jesus, we know you. But Jesus says, listen, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? And Jesus goes on to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is saying, you've seen him. You've seen me. You've seen God. We are one. Not like we think alike as one. Not like we have the same ideas, like we're on the same page. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying we're in agreement, that we think alike, that we're on the same page. He's saying, you've seen me, the Son, you have seen the Father. Wow. He's saying, Philip, Thomas, John, I know you really don't get it either. So John, Harley, Cole, the church in Malvern, Stuttgart Harvest Church, all of us. He's saying, the Father and the Son are one. And the same, but yet they're separate. That's the head scratcher. Jesus goes on later, and he does almost the same thing with this other part of God that we seem to not understand as well, God's Spirit. We find John recorded this in John 16. He says, Jesus saying, but in fact, he's saying, I must go away. I have to go away. It is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, which is aka God's spirit, 
the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him. In other words, we are separate as well, but one, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Our experience with God today is through God the Spirit. The disciples' experience with God was through Jesus. And the rest of antiquity, they were interacting somehow with God, Yahweh, God three in one. And we still are today. The Spirit is part of that three in one, one in three. Head scratcher. So now you are just as confused as I am. We're all on the same page now. We are on the same page. (laughs) We are confused. We have Jesus the Son talking about God the Father. We have Jesus the Son talking about God the Spirit. They are three, but yet we know God clearly says to us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one but without ever realizing it for us so often, even in the old covenant, we find that God is more than just one, but yet he's one. This is so cool. I told the students we were going to talk about something really, really neat and awesome today. And here's that moment. Some of you may already know this. Many of us may not. The word that God uses to describe himself in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which, by the way, this passage is so famous. Every single Jewish child, especially Jewish boys, every single one, one of their first things they ever learned, they ever memorized out of the Old Covenant, which most of them memorized by the time they were 13, 14, 15 years old, most of the Old Covenant. But one of the first things they memorized was that verse that we just read, and that was the beginning. And there's a few verses after that, and they memorized that whole thing called the Shema. But I digress. We see in this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, God referring to himself. So when you see the word God in that passage, when he says that, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, when you see that God is one, when you see that word God, the word for God there in Hebrew, in that language that was written in Hebrew in the Old Covenant, when you see that written, that word is uh, Elohim. Okay? Elohim. That word, Elohim, is plural, not singular. Let me let that sink in. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But the word God is plural. You've heard of cherubs in the Bible, the angels? That's a singular cherub. Anyone know what a 
when it's plural, what they're called? Cherubim. Um, that's just an example of singular to plural. The other words for angels, same thing. Seraph, seraphim. Elohim is plural. And God says, the Lord your God, plural, is one. E. I love it. The last little bits of my mind blown. What does this mean for us? There's only one God. And he is described as three. He's described as our Father, our Savior, and our guide. But he is one. We do not have three gods. We have one God. <clears throat> and if anyone can explain that further, they're just pulling your leg. Because that's all the info he gives us. That's it. We cannot explain that further. Because God is infinite and we are finite. And I finally got to the point in my life where I was like, okay, I'm just going to go with you, God. I'm just going to go with you. But what does this mean for us? So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, uh, three God, three, three persons of God all in one, just one, one single God, but yet three. And here's the next thing we understand about this, um, about God, is that God is in total control because God is sovereign. We kind of push back on that concept of someone being in control of us. We don't really like that. We don't like being controlled. We don't like being powerless. We don't like the idea of someone having control over or power over us. There are many times in our lives where someone has had control over or forced power over us, and we know we don't want to go there again. And so we have trouble with this idea that God has power over, control over. It's, uh, it's difficult. It's tough. Our experience that we have, we see it every day. We see what people around us do with power and control, and we understand it is not good. This side of heaven, power and control is broken. If authority is unchecked, we know authority is dangerous. And we have seen, sometimes it has been us with a power over someone in our lives, with maybe our family or children. Sometimes it's someone who has power over us, but we understand this side of heaven mixed in and tainted by sin, power and control tainted by sin. It leads to selfishness, and it is always somehow broken. So because of that, if you're anything like me, control, uh, when I think of that, someone having control over me, there's always a hint of pain or fear or suffering or unfairness attached to that thought of someone having control over. Because we know what it's like for people to have control over, power over, and they are no more than just simply broken humans with broken control and broken power and broken authority. And they often maybe use that authority we feel and have experienced. They use that authority to crush 
us. And so when we see that God is in complete control, and we find that outlined and told to us throughout Scripture, we have a tendency, if you're like me at all, to push back from that. Because we don't want someone in control. We want to take back control. We don't want to lose control. We want to direct the plan of our lives. At least I do. But I will say this, as I've gotten older, and I am, as I've gotten older, I realize now, as many of you are too, that we are thankful that God didn't do things the way we ask him to in many cases. We're thankful for those, what, unanswered prayers, right? Yeah, many of them. When I get older, I trust myself less, and I trust his judgment more, not mine. But we still have a couple of big questions, okay? Here's, here's what this whole control thing leads me to. This is an enormous question. Cole, as Cole and I were preparing for today, we were saying, do we really want to open this can? <laughs> And I, and I just said, I, I don't think we have an option. I think we have to open this can. So I'm going to open the can right here. This big question in our life, is God really in control over his creation? All of it. Is he really in control? Or does man have the freedom to make choice for themselves? Is God in control? Or do I have the freedom to make choices and to live my life and do what I'm going to do and make my decisions? Is God in control of that or am I in control of me? And these two things seem to be completely polar opposites. It seems to me they can't both be true, that God is in complete control and that I have control of me. So here's the answer. If you've wondered what the answer is to that great big question. Here's the answer. Is God in control or do I have control of me? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. While both things can't be true, that's a paradox. Two things that are opposites true, but somehow both things are true. So let's be clear. If someone answers that question any other way, they are pretending to know the mind of God. They're pretending to know the mind of God because God clearly says in his scripture that he has absolute control, complete control. And he clearly says in his scripture that he has allowed man the freedom to choose. And while we can't wrap our minds around that because they are opposites, God says they are true. And so I'm just going to have to say this is one of those things where we just have to say, God, you are transcendent. You are beyond me and my mind. You are beyond your creation. And if you can say that two things that are opposites are true, then I'm going to have to go with you on that one as well. According to God, they're true. 
Yes, he's in complete control. But with that complete control, somehow he has allowed us the freedom to make a choice. And somehow both of those things coexist in only a way that God can make that happen. Because God is in control. And we're just going to have to go with God on that one. And maybe one day on the other side, maybe, just maybe, he will allow us to understand that. But for now, we have to say, God is in control. And God being in control, that's good enough for me. Because we know as what he said in Scripture, as the one who is in control, he has utilized his power and his control in some way to give us a freedom of choice. So let me be clear. That's all we can say is yes. And somehow that is beyond our ability to make sense and to make it fit in our nice little neat theology. But what does that mean for us? That God is in control. Because God's control is not like the control of man that we talked about. God's control is not like that. God's control is not like the control of man. Here's what it means for us. It means that we can lay the whole of our lives in God's hands without worry and without fear. And if we don't, if we choose not to do that, we will not frustrate God. We will only frustrate ourselves. There's some kind of peace that resides in knowing that our future rests in the hands of a loving, sovereign God. We can absolutely trust God. And I understand the anxiety that comes with that statement. I feel that. We have the feeling, but, 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 but what is God going to do with me? I feel that. But part of this life is accepting that we can place our lives in his hands and we can get to the point where we can say, okay, God, Okay, God, this is the ride you want to take me on. I didn't see it coming. I, didn't, I would not have planned this for myself. I would have figured out a way around this. I would have passed this by. I would have said no to this, to this illness, to this hurt, to this pain. I would have said no, no thank you. But God, if this is the ride that you're going to take me on, then I trust that while it is not going to be the smoothest route that I had hoped for, it's not the path that I would have chosen for myself, but okay, God, I'm going to learn to trust you and you will get me there when you get me there. I'm going to trust you. But if you're anything like me, you're having trouble grasping even some of these attributes of God. Me too. Me too. And if that's you, then I've got some good news for you because there's another characteristic of God here. Isaiah talks about it. God tells us, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And we're like, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's for sure. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher 
than your thoughts. In other words, we find out that God is incomprehensible. And if you grew up in the 90s or the 80s, then you know that as inconceivable. And if you don't understand what that is, ask your parents. God is incomprehensible. Here's how Paul words it in Romans. He says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. God, in other words, is incomprehensible. Not in the sense that we can't understand the concept of God. No, 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 no. It's that we can't understand an infinite God. He cannot fully and directly be understood and known because we are finite creatures. As we stated last week, God is over here, we're over here, and there is a gulf between us that there is no English word adequate to describe the distance that separates us and God. I can't understand what God is doing. Paul says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. That was not a question. That was not a question. That was Paul with an expression of worship. And he was not saying that out of frustration. Not as if to say, oh, God, you're so far beyond me and I can't stand it. No, no, no. He wasn't frustrated. That is Paul with an expression of pure worship and as admiration and amazement. You see, we serve a creator, God, whose knowledge is described as endless, an endless treasure trove. Wow, it's endless. We will never, ever exhaust discovering that, drawing from that, learning more from him. We can go back to Paul's prayer where Paul said he prayed that we would know God more, that we would have more knowledge of God and more understanding of God. And we know this, that will never stop. That process will never end. What an amazing blessing we have to search out the unimaginable and those big things of God that we can never understand fully. So what does this mean for us? Well, here's what it means. We have the unimaginable freedom to search out and to discover more about the creator of the universe. To discover more. We can't understand everything. We never will this side of heaven. Maybe not even then. I, I have no idea how that's going to work. But that we're, we're not going to understand everything. But that should not stop us from being on a quest of understanding more. That's what Paul prayed for. You see, if you know that God exists, why would not the passion of our lives be discovering more about this God? Why would we not search endlessly to understand more about this God? We are a part, a very small part, of God's great big story. Why would we not want to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God? To dive into this, to get more and more clarity and more and more understanding. 
because we are studying and learning about the infinite, unchanging, incomprehensible creator of everything who is also in total control. Might we consider waking up every day and saying, God, what new discovery are you going to reveal to me today? Those are the questions that should captivate our lives. I want to give us uh, a footnote. You know, sometimes you see that little asterisk by the sentence, and we usually ignore those footnotes. But this morning, I want to give you a footnote. If we don't have any appetite for knowing God more, something, something's wrong. If we don't have any appetite to pursue him, to understand him more, why should I spend a second longer understanding the history behind 1492 or, or how the, the modern germ theory uh, impacts me in my life today with flu and with COVID? How, why should I wonder about that if not it, it, it is first wrapped up in understanding the one who created life? Might we dive into this with full clarity to know him and to understand him? Because we are, we are dealing with the infinite God. And my hope is that you will have a desire to know him more. And all I can say to that is, oh, thank God. If God doesn't change and he's the only one, he's the God who's in control, then why would we not want to know and understand more about him? So here's our simple next step for this week. It's a question. How can we grow in our knowledge of God this week? You know, what we do on Sundays, Cole and I, we love it. It's important. It's important that we talk about the things of God. It's important that we come together and we worship God together. That is, that's important. But it goes beyond that. Maybe this week you could do this. Maybe get into Scripture for yourself this week. Maybe you do. Maybe you already read a few verses a week. Maybe try to work your way this week through an entire chapter. Maybe you don't read any, then read some. And let me just encourage you, maybe begin, you know, I, I, I rarely encourage this. I'm going to encourage this this week, though. It's a head scratcher for me, <laughs> but I'm going to encourage it. It just, I was thinking about this this weekend. I said, this is, is going to be my encouragement. Um, the order of the books that we have, the, the way they're placed in the Bible are not necessarily chronological. It means this book did, was not written before this one necessarily. 
Sometimes it happens that way, but that's not the rule of thumb. They're not given to us in an order that they were written. Probably, scholars believe, the very first New Covenant writing, scholars believe, was the book of James. It's a very short book. If you're not in the habit of reading, then maybe just take on that little short book this week. Just read a few verses or paragraphs a day. Maybe start there. You may already have a plan. Go with your plan. You may have another idea where you're sitting here and maybe God just kind of plants in your heart and say, hey, read this, read that. I would encourage you to start in the new covenant though. I would encourage you to start in the new covenant and begin reading. So that's the first, how do we get to know God? That would be the first thing, get into the scripture. The second thing, if you need some help with some understanding, grab a commentary. Grab a commentary. If, if you need some help, let, shoot me an email, shoot me a text. I'll give you some ideas. And another thing would be, you could also listen to a podcast. Now, here you go. You need to be careful with whom you listen to. You need to be cautious. But if you want the idea of someone that, that teaches some sound uh, things right out of the Bible, I, I could give you some ideas, some people to listen to. Do something this week. Go to Scripture and then maybe take it a step further. Read some more or maybe go to a commentary or maybe listen to someone who's teaching on Scripture through maybe a podcast. And if you need help finding that, just let me know. I'll help you. Because maybe, just maybe, something here on Sunday that is said or sung might spur you every week into a little bit of a deeper study of our God of creation. This God who cared enough to send himself here as Jesus, the son, to carry my rebellion and your rebellion away. And to that, we simply say, oh, thank God. Let's pray. God, we have a desire to know you. And God, somehow wrapped up with that desire to know you, we have a desire to pursue you, a desire to get closer to you. And God, we know that's not a physical proximity because God, we know from learning from you, you are everywhere. But God, we have a desire for our hearts to be closer to your heart. May our prayer be that if no one else in this life chooses to, oh God, at least help me Help us to know you more so that we can submit to you more. And to that, we simply say, oh, thank God. Thank you for wanting me. God, thank you for wanting us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.